Who here likes riddles? Yeah, cool. So I've got some riddles for you. Who hates them? Yeah. <laughs> Why do you hate them? Makes your brain work too hard. Does anyone hate them because you never seem to be able to get them? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a bit of a try today. We'll see, uh, see how you go. What has a foot but no legs? Anyone know? Oh. Oh, we've got ourselves a non-conformist here because that is not the answer. That is not the answer. She's probably rebellious, that one. Anyone, anyone know? A snail. Yeah, there you go, obviously. Uh, what about this one? Poor people have it. Rich people need it. If you eat it, you die. What is it? Nothing. Ah, all right, good. Nothing. Uh, what comes down but never goes up? Rain, excellent. This is a bit of a tricky one. I'm tall when I'm young and I'm short when I'm old. What am I? A candle. You're in the first service, weren't you? <laughs> Mary's father has five daughters. Nana, Nini, Nini, Nono. What is the fifth daughter's name? Oh, very good, Mary. Anyone frustrated yet? Other riddles, maybe a couple. How can a pants pocket be empty and still have something in it? Sorry? A hole. It can have a hole in it. Yeah, some of you going, oh, can we get, some, get somewhere sometime? In a one-story pink house, there was a pink person, a pink cat, a pink fish, a pink computer, a pink chair, a pink table, a pink telephone, a pink shower. Everything was pink. What colour were the stairs? Anyone know? <laughs> it's a one-story house. You guys are doing well. Uh, a dad and his son were riding their bikes and crashed. Two ambulances came and took them to different hospitals. The man's son was in the operating room and the doctor said, I can't operate on you, you're my son. How is that possible? Yeah, see, you guys are very smart. You see, riddles are actually about the concealment of truth and the revelation of the truth in the riddle is dependent upon the person to work it out. That's kind of the nature of what a riddle is. It's a mystifying, misleading or puzzling question that's posed as a problem to be solved or a problem to be guessed. And what we actually find today when we get to uh, Mark chapter 4 verse 1 to 20 is we see Jesus starting to tell parables. Now, in the context of what goes on in the Gospels, it's a completely fair um, label to give to Jesus' parables. A fair label is actually to call them a riddle. Um, and theologically, that's, that's kind of a pretty sound direction to go because, and, and you'll see today that the way that Jesus talks about parables, he talks about them as a kind of a riddle. So we're going to read uh, one of the parables and it's uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 20. So if you've got a Bible that you want to read, um, you can do that or you can follow it on the screen. I'm just going to read a little bit and then I'll stop. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. This is Jesus beside the Sea of Galilee. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat it on the sea, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, he said to them, listen. Now, that, that's a very curious, that's a bit ironic, isn't it? Because I said that and everyone looked at me. <laughs> anyway. I don't mean to be unkind. Look, he says, listen, now, you know the parable he's going to tell, for those who've been in the church long enough, it's a parable of a sower, right? Now, you'll all kind of, if you've been in the church long enough, some, some people here maybe not have been, but you've just, you've probably heard about it, and you're probably sitting there, and you're probably going, yeah, no, I get that, that's all good. Now, Jesus is talking to people, and some of the people in his group are the disciples, and the first thing he says is, look, you're going to need to listen to this. Now, that's a bit of an indicator at this early stage that there's going to be a trick to it and you could miss it. You get that? So you don't just, like if you're sitting there now and if I was you and I'd come to church and someone was preaching on the parable of a sower, you know what I'd be thinking? I'd be going, yeah, I've heard this one, I know it. And Jesus would say to you, well, just don't be so confident. Just, just be careful. Make sure that you listen to what I'm talking about. Uh, Behold, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up 
since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, which really means listen. You get that? Oh, just be careful, you need to listen. Um, this is like a parent, you know, just kind of talking to their kids and going, like, listen to what I'm saying. And it's like one of my lines I used to say to people all the time is like, listen, you're not listening, you know, and that's probably the case a lot. Of it. It's like, listen, you're not listening. And you say that to kids and you just go, no, no, this is really important. You need to just, it sounds simple and you think you know it, but just make sure you listen. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may... And here, when Jesus says parables here, you can hear there him saying they're in riddles. What I'm saying is in riddles, so that some people are not going to get it. That they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, the disciples, the people talking with him, do you not understand this parable? Now, this is why I think there's a pretty good call here for a decent amount of humility. <laughs> okay. These guys are hanging out with Jesus. They're kind of with him just about all the time. And uh, he's told this story about the sower. And then he's turned around. He's said something about why he speaks in riddles. And then he says to him, he goes, uh, don't you guys get this? And it's like, if you don't get this one, why do you think you're going to get everything else? Like, he's kind of going, you need to get this. Um, how then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. I think what we see in this section of Mark, uh, we see three things. We see the power of the kingdom, the secrets of the kingdom and the discipleship uh, that occurs within the kingdom so looking at the first one there we see the power of the kingdom notice this jesus says listen behold a sower went out to sow and he sowed some seed the sower sows the word the really interesting thing about this parable here is um the sower is the one that's being focused on in the initial telling of the story and he's actually doing something that's having quite a large effect but in some ways it's a pretty underwhelming effect um, the seed that he's sowing is the word and so the word just to set it all up for you, Jesus is the sower that he's talking about in this, in this story and the seed is the word that he's actually speaking about his father and about himself and about the kingdom uh, that he's bringing of shalom uh, and peace. And um, that word is kind of going out. And that, what, that, what this kind of parable shows at the start there is, is God's a talker. He just talks all the time and some of you talk all the time. Some of you know people who talk, they just talk all the time. Now, Genesis 1 verse 3 tells us about the creation account and it actually says, and God said, he spoke. God just talks. Now, this is, this is actually really good news for you. He's a talker. He's going to tell you about himself. He's going to tell you about you. God, I mean, it's blown me away for a couple of years now. The whole notion, I mean, God doesn't have to be a self-revealer. He could be someone, I don't know whether you've got someone that doesn't let you know them very much. They kind of conceal themselves from it. And it's, kind of, it's, it's almost like you're playing Cluedo. You know that board game? You, well, I, I don't know, maybe it was the, you know, the lead pipe. And, <laughs> and you're, just, you're trying to work out what the other person's like. And it's just like, could you just be a little bit more transparent so that I actually could know you and understand you a bit better? Well, you know what? God's transparent about himself. Now, you can't understand everything about him, true? But he's a self-revealer and he's just going to tell you about stuff about you and about him. Um, and what he says 
is actually really, really powerful. Just think about this. When God spoke in creation, it just came into being. That's, that's it. That's, I mean, he's not furiously getting some Play-Doh together up there, you know, and kind of shaping it into a ball and making satin and all. He, he can just say something and it just happens. I mean, that's... You might go, yeah, I get that. Well, but you don't get it. Like, it's not even like he had a bundle of nothing in his hands and he just... Because then if you had a bundle of nothing, you would know nothing, right? It's not like he, he, he just... He can just speak and it just happens. And some of you think, that would be a really cool power to have, wouldn't it? That would be a good superhero power to have some of you going, I could really do something with that. So God speaks and it actually comes about... Let me give you one example of this in creation. Genesis 1 verse 14 to 16. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Listen to this. And God made the two great lights. Which ones do you think they are? Sun and the moon, yeah. The great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God made this just by saying he wanted it. Sun. When that, that thing's been burning for thousands of years and it's still not burned up, that's massive. I think uh, I looked on one side that showed a solar flare. You can see on the right-hand side of it there, there's a solar flare going out. The, the Earth's not even as big as that solar flare comparatively to the sun. And do you get that? So sun and you get that out of nothing it's incredible blank earth and then tiger isn't it wouldn't that be cool then you just say armadillo Look, what's with that Here's the thing, God, God's word, that's one of the things I want you to get today is when he speaks, something happens every single time when he speaks. It's always purpose, purposeful, he's always up to something with what he's saying. I don't know whether you like me, There's, it doesn't happen very often, but every now and then I talk to someone and they just give me reams and reams of meaningless detail when you're talking to them about stuff. Do you know anyone like that? You talk to them, they're telling you who their dog's uncle is and where they got their chickens from and... You know, they laid three eggs yesterday and there's four of them, you know, and it's just like, and you find out who their cousin's father is and what car he bought when he was 13 and do you know what I mean? And you're just kind of going, what, 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 can someone please tell me what the point of this is? Well, God's not like that. He's not like someone who just rabbits off meaningless detail. Everything that he says has a purpose and it achieves something. It's designed to actually do something. Um... It's kind of, in some ways, it's probably a bad illustration, but it's kind of like an automatic car that's stuck in drive. <laughs> it's going to go somewhere and it's going to do something because that's the nature of it. It just does stuff. But what's really different about God's word when we get to the New Testament, the way that Jesus is talking about it, is it's not kind of shock and awe like the Americans going into Iraq, is it? It's not almost shock and awe like creation, the creation account where God's word was very very powerful it's something that's completely different because the kingdom that he's bringing is completely different you know a lot of us kind of say things like um geez like seriously if god just did a miracle in front of my friends they'd believe you know that's kind of the shock and all thing we'd just love him to do a miracle just you know and he does do them right but we just kind of think we'd like him to do that stuff all the time it's like he should have his own youtube channel you know, he needs to be on YouTube. He needs a weekly 30-second update on YouTube. Just let everyone know what he's up to in the world at the time. Or maybe, I mean, it's a high ratings winner, but Channel 9 News on Sunday night. You know, let's... Why doesn't, you know, the newsreader says, we're just going to depart now for a quick bulletin, you know, quick message from God. He comes on for five minutes. Well, you know what? That's not how God's kingdom works. 
You see, we ask questions like, uh, why do I still hurt? Why is there evil in the world? Let's get rid of all the suffering. And we just kind of want this shock and awe effect from God to come in and, and change things. And to be fair, that, that will happen one day. But that's not how his kingdom works in the now. You know what we learn from uh, the parable of the sower is God's kingdom is like, and his word is like a seed. You know, and you just sit there and you just kind of go, really? Like, is that it? Like, didn't the Romans have like war machines and battalions of archers and battering rams? And like, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be something else? I mean, in our day, you just go, God's word is like a column of Abram tanks, or it's like a, an, an Apache, a whole fleet of Apache attack helicopters, you know? But Jesus comes along and he goes, no, no, it's, it's, it's kind of like a seed. Really? You know, I mean, maybe Jesus goes to preaching school and they go, listen, mate, you, seriously, you got lots of good stuff to say, but you just seem to work on the illustrations. It's just, it, just a bit weak. People just go, oh, okay, is that it? But I want you to think about it. What's a seed like? Well, you know what a seed's like? It's, it's gentle, isn't it? It looks vulnerable and it looks weak. It's pretty underwhelming. In fact, it looks like it's, uh, it's pretty long odds to actually make any significant changes in the world. But that's what we actually find about the person of Jesus, isn't it? I mean, he comes to earth. He um, is the king of heaven. He gets tortured and killed. He stands around talking to people and he says, look, power is actually going to come from humility and service. The way up is down. And he says, and the kingdom of heaven and my word comes forth like a seed. I want you to think for a minute. Um, are seeds powerful? Yeah, seeds are actually very powerful, aren't they? But they exert their power differently. And here's a couple of, a few classic examples. I mean, seeds can crack concrete, can't they? And you look at that one down at the bottom right there, you can see the, a tree starting to take over that temple. You know? Seeds actually are powerful. But Jesus is not even saying that seeds are powerful like this. Jesus is saying that seeds are powerful like this. It's like fallow ground that's not productive and then a whole strip of just fertile um, paddock because a seed actually brings about fruitfulness and life, doesn't it? See, what, what we can often miss about God's kingdom and about him bringing his word is that God's kingdom and his word doesn't actually come powerfully in the sense of domination it comes by hearing and this is what Jesus is saying he's saying my kingdom comes by listening by hearing you see the seed that Jesus is talking about is the word of God and what he's saying is he's saying my kingdom comes not by force but by truth and uh, I'm indebted to Tim Keller for this next bit, but Tim Keller talks about the difference between a boulder, a, a big rock, and, uh, and a seed. He says a boulder smashes the ground. You know, a, a boulder can have a massive impact on the ground. It smashes into it. The seed penetrates it. The boulder revolutionises the ground externally. The seed revolutionises it internally. The boulder is suddenly and coercively impacting upon the ground the seed is organically and gradually and gently changing the ground the boulder breaks the land the seed transforms the land into a garden or a forest and makes it life-giving the seed transforms the soil completely whilst the boulder is superficial transformation you see a large part of the reason why we don't get god is that we kind of expect him to operate in the same kind of framework that we operate with our kingdom and people just don't get that and the disciples didn't get it and a lot of the people in Jesus's day didn't get it Hebrews 1 verse 1 to 2 says long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son so God sent the messenger to come and speak the Bible is clear about the fact that Jesus is the word he was involved in creation. It was his word that was actually bringing about the creation at the very beginning. And God sent him to speak to us and tell us about us and tell us about him. So I just want to ask you at this point in time, how desperate are you for him to speak to you? How much do you want that? 
listened to this Francis Chan message and um, he went to a Korean church and he's at this Korean church and uh, for about five or ten minutes there the crowd just made a racket they all just individually started praying and uh, Francis Chan said to the guy he was with he couldn't understand it because it was in Korean he said to the guy he was with he said what are they doing and the guy he's with he said uh, you know what they're praying for is they're praying for you because they're so desperate to hear what God's got to say to them and we're not going to do it today we might do it another day at the project but I wonder how we'd go if, if we just had five or ten minutes where people just prayed and just say God we desperately we really value every time that you speak we just really value it and we just please can you just we're desperate to hear you speak to us you know someone who um gives you the silent treatment anyone know someone like that it's like they're not happy with you and they just it's kind of like they throw a smoke bomb in your house you know not literally but they kind of throw it in there and it's just kind of yeah breathe that one in for a while you know and see if you can work your way out and they go really quiet and some of you heard me say my nan and pop used to do it to each other all the time, which is kind of really fun, a whole passive-aggressive thing. And it was like, I remember going out to my nan and pop's place and my dad going, oh, they haven't actually said a word to each other for like two or three weeks. I was going, okay. Well, you know what? God actually stops talking to people sometimes. Did you know that? Now, the only reason why I'm bringing this up, I'm not bringing it up to rouse on you, but you just need to value when he speaks. Because he doesn't... I mean, I said to you that he talks all the time. He'll talk to someone else. He might stop talking to you. Uh, Amos chapter 8, verse 11 to 12 is a prophecy about Samaria in the uh, 8th century BC. Listen to uh, what Amos uh, prophesies. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the lord they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east they shall run to and fro do you, do you get the feeling there's a sense here like they are running after just wanting god to talk to them please just talk to us and it's as desperate as looking for food and water when the nations run out of food and water it's like they're running all over the place so we just got to get this from somewhere they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. And listen to these harrowing words, but they shall not find it. It's like I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Now, they had a long, long period of disobedience to God. And he, give, he gave them plenty of warnings. He just said, that's it. I'm going to go quiet. And we know that, uh, those of you who know your Bibles a little bit, you know that there was 400 years where God didn't send anyone to speak on his behalf on the planet. 400 years i mean australia hasn't even been a nation that long 400 years god's just going i'm not going to speak to you people four centuries it's a long long time so my encouragement to you today is don't take it for granted don't take it for granted um so what i want to do is i just want to give you a couple of really a few really practical how can you value the word stuff right and you could probably write three quarters of this list maybe you're thinking about some of these already you know what the first one is 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 just like read it <laughs> like read it seriously oh that that's it that's one like in the last week you know there's i think it's entirely likely that there's people who've come to church in the last week haven't even read the bible and i'm just saying just just pick it up and read it now i know it's hard to understand yeah we've been doing some stuff on the 8th century prophets on Sunday night for the last three Sunday nights we're finished now but look Amos wrote I don't know probably 2,800 years ago 3,000 years ago almost yeah is it going to be hard to understand are you going to need to know some extra stuff to understand what Amos is talking about if he's writing about something almost 3,000 years ago are you yeah of course you will so you're going to have to do some some hard work and a bit of study sometimes in the Bible but seriously who he likes the Psalms he likes the Psalms you don't have to work that hard with most of the psalms there you don't have to work that hard with the gospels like reading matthew mark and luke and john about jesus so so just read it and see what god wants to speak to you through it as i said look you're probably just gonna sometimes you'll have to study it in the uh in the olden days um you know what they used to do they'd set aside a period of time for um reflective meditative kind of bible reading and prayer but that also set aside time 
like weekly time, even daily time sometimes, to actually study the Bible and, and mine the riches within it. You guys expecting something that was like rocket science today maybe, but look, here's a third one. Just do it. <laughs> oh, that, value, that, that values it. That values God speaking. It's just like, well, I'm just, I'll just do it. And we'll get, we'll get to that a little bit more later on. This one, this one here, meditate on it. Now, we ought to be the best people at meditation. All right? The ones, everyone who's talking about meditation at the moment, mostly are Buddhists. Okay? We ought to be, I mean, what's Psalm 1 all about? Yeah. Blessed is a man who meditates on the Word of God day and night. We ought to, it's like people ought to be coming to us because we're good at meditating. Not on nothing, but we actually sit down and we just chew it over. You know, you're a cow chewing its cud in the paddock, you know. So find a paddock, put a banana lounge on it and lie down and think of a scripture and think about what it means in a thousand different permutations. We ought to be really, really good at meditating on it. The cool thing about preaching is uh, I get to meditate on what I'm preaching on most of the week. Um, the guy I do pastoral consultation with, he, um, he just kind of helps me out with uh, stuff that I don't know how to do and there's lots of stuff I don't know how to do but he helps me out with uh, that stuff and his family actually said to me, he goes, Daddy, you're a much nicer man when you're preaching than when you're not. <laughs> you know what they're saying is that when he's meditating on the Bible and it's washing over him, it's, it's changing him. Um, so my schedule, I'll just let you in on a little secret. My schedule is I like to start on Tuesday morning, so I don't tend to schedule too many appointments Tuesday morning. I want to spend three or four hours Tuesday morning just hammering out where we're looking at the scripture and just thinking it over and reading stuff on Tuesday morning. And then probably for the rest of the week, I'm just meditating on it and trying to synthesize and work out what does this thing mean. And it's just a real blessing. And I kind of have to do it uh, in a sense because it's uh, part of my job, but... Um, that certainly wasn't when I started meditating on scripture this is an uh, an old habit that may have died hard um, memorizing scripture you know I mean who knows that you actually get out and you're in the middle of your job and you start either getting some thoughts where you're just getting tempted about a particular thing or some kind of crap goes down and it gets really difficult for a while and you just kind of can't you just can't think of anything good about God at all and you can't think of any promises, you just, any, anyone been in that place? It's just a really anxious place when you get into that one. Um, you know, it's, we can be a bit like sometimes, can't we? We're like the dude, it's, it'll be like going into battle and leaving your AK-47 in the tent, you know, you just kind of get out there and there's a massive big army against you, you just go, oh, fellas, can we just pause for a sec? Because I, I mean, it's back there, I'll just, just give me five minutes, I'll just run back and get it. And you just go, no, you need it right there. You actually need it on the spot, memorization helps that. Uh, and puts the, uh, the verses on the spot and allows the Holy Spirit inside of you to bring up the verses that you need to uh, notice and remember in the time. Reflecting on it's a bit like meditating on it. I'm a, becoming more and more um, passionate about the fact that we do need to have time for personal reflection in your life. I mean, we live in such a connected, busy, busy, busy society. We just kind of can wind up. And unless you actually make space to reflect on yourself and reflect on scriptures and the truth about God somehow just you can be my classic illustration is the hamster in the wheel you know we're kind of like a hamster in a wheel we just keep going faster and faster and faster and the hamster thinks the way I'm going to beat this wheel is by running harder right and everyone else is going no you're going to beat it by getting off that's what you need to do you need to get off the wheel and um, to a large extent that's where the whole uh, pushes come from I think with the whole Buddhist thing about um, mindfulness is it's really a technique to get the hamster off the wheel now I think there's lots of good biblical techniques to get the hamster off the wheel and I think it's good to get the hamster off the wheel because it's not going to beat the wheel uh, and who knows like when you get anxious man I mean anxiety is just a I mean I, I get anxious at times and I just go I've just uh, seriously this might sound weird to you but I'm just going I've got to get the hamster off the wheel you know, because anxiety will just kind of keep spinning up and you spin up and spin up and spin up and you just go, I've got to get off and I've got to stop somehow and see the truth about myself and see how God's truth actually intersects with that. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? What about this one? Um, 
you could actually prepare for Sunday morning church. Uh, someone came to church, um, a visitor, uh, about three weeks ago. You know what he said to me? He said this to me, he goes, I really enjoyed going to a 10.30 church because it meant that I could sit home and prepare my heart before I came to church. And you know what he did? He just prayed a little bit and he read his Bible a little bit and just kind of, you know, started stirring up in his heart um, a passion for God. You're not going to be at prime capacity if you go to bed at 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning and come to church at 8.30. You with me? So it actually might be sometimes that you might go to bed early on a Saturday night so that you can be in a prime place to hear what God's got to say to you. And if you've got to do stuff on Saturday nights, that's fine. All right? Maybe that's a good reason to keep coming at 10.30. You just go, well, I'm actually in a more coherent place. I've had a coffee, you know. I'll get to church and uh, I'm going to be more attentive. So keep coming at 10.30. There you go. That's the project, just trying to fit in with your, uh, your schedule. What about this one? Think earnestly about what is sung, prayed and preached at church. So don't, don't, don't just be passive there. Just, I'm not saying that you do, but I'm just saying don't be passive. Just really engage with it. Um, this is a big one. Trust in the truth you already have. Most of you got a lot of truth, but you're not... If you're anything like me, you don't trust in all of the truth that you have. And uh, that truth changes when you actually do... Uh, lean upon it and rest uh, your weight heavily upon it. One of the uh, amazing things about this parable and about the word in this parable is it's going to find good soil and it's going to produce the big harvest. There's absolutely no question about it. Now the question for you is, are you going to be part of that harvest? Are you going to be part of that fruitfulness or is God going to bypass you and go to someone else? And I just really want to encourage you today, you want to be in on that. You want to be in on it. Be in on the fruitfulness that God promises to bring through the activity of his word. And some of you might go, yeah, but that means I'm going to have to be a bit extreme. I'm just going to say be extreme. Our culture doesn't like people being extreme. We just want people to be mediocre, especially when you've got an opinion about something or whether you think things are actually right or wrong. The scary thing in a sense, scary, encouraging, it's probably both, the mixture of scary and encouraging is this parable that Jesus is telling about the sower is happening right now. Because I'm speaking about God's word and people are listening in different ways to, to what I'm saying. And I don't know how you're listening, I'm just saying that I know it is happening. And it's, it's a little bit ironic is Jesus is enlightening people about something and as he's enlightening them, what he's actually talking about is actually happening at that point in time. Number two. The secrets of the kingdom. This is a tricky section. Anyone notice this when we went through it? Just the middle bit. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? It's kind of like at the start, Jesus is kind of going, look, you're on the inside, you know the secrets. And then at the end, he goes, don't you get the secrets? You know, so at some level, it's just a weird thing going on. And then it kind of looks like in the middle that um, Jesus telling parables is actually preventing people from being Christians. So let me deal with that first. Here's what I think God's saying. This is what Jesus is saying. He's going, God is into disclosing his secrets. But he only discloses his secrets to people who have faith, who trust in him. And I'm going to get to this a little bit more in a sec, but that's actually entirely consistent with the way that relationships work between people. You can't know anyone, really, unless you actually trust them. They can't know you and you can't know them unless there's an interchange of trust there at some level. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, when I give a parable that gives those who have trust in me the opportunity to go deeper... And those who don't trust in me gives them the opportunity to cast a blind eye. If you remember that message from last week, I talked about the um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, uh, the unforgivable sin. What we've got in Mark chapter 3 is a bunch of people who think he's insane, his family thinks he's insane, religious people are against him. And that's, you can kind of see, if you, if you read this little section here in the context of that, 
Uh, you can kind of see what Jesus is saying. Like people, there's people who are really hardened against him and there's people who trust in him. The people who trust him get to go on the journey with him. The people who are hardened against him uh, don't. So imagine all you had um, about the parable of the soul was just the first bit Can you see the riddle in it? Like, would you have actually got the interpretation that Jesus talked about after it? I, I think if I was honest for myself, I'd say no, I don't think I would have got particularly close. There might have been a couple of areas, maybe. I think most of us probably get a couple of areas that would overlap a bit. But can you see he's kind of telling things in a bit of a riddle and people are just going, huh? What are you doing that for? And the reason why he's doing it is he wants to take the people who trust him deeper and he's, the parable gives, parables give those who don't trust him an opportunity to uh, keep on in their unbelief. Uh, Jesus, for those people, becomes something of an enigma. You see, Jesus is the kingdom of God embodied in a person. Uh, it's, it's not coming in the, in the, pre, in the future. It's, it hasn't come in the past, but it's actually coming in Jesus as he speaks this parable. Uh, and the parables are an aspect of Jesus' mission and it makes every aspect of his mission for those who don't trust him a riddle, something wholly alien um, to the perspective of man. The disciples can see the riddle, can't they? They can see inside some of these riddles a little bit but then you kind of go, Jesus goes, don't you get the parable? You just go, well, they kind of do but then they kind of don't. So there's a sense in which the blindness for the disciples is uh, a difficulty also. You see, people outside of faith in Jesus are not excluded from the possibility of belief, but they're in the position of an inability to learn the secret that Jesus is talking about while their unbelief continues. So let me pause and be a little bit reflective. Um, I encourage you to be reflective at this point. I wonder if you know that experientially. Can you pinpoint moments in your life where, like, all of a sudden... You can see things. You can see kind of what's going on. Because the reality is that Jesus is the gateway to all the secrets of the kingdom. I'm going to show you a clip from Alice in Wonderland uh, from 2010. Alice, what happens to Alice? Anyone know what happens to Alice? She, she what? She goes down a rabbit hole. And what happens when she goes down the rabbit hole? Everything changes. A whole new vista, a whole new reality kind of opens up. Here's a clip. She's just been asked to marry this dunce, apparently. You see, trust in Jesus is like that moment where Alice falls into the hole and everything changes from that point on. 
If, uh, if you just take a moment to think about it, I'm sure that you can think about um, movies where there's a portal into another world. Another classic one, which we've quoted lots at the project, is The Chronicles of Narnia and The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Lucy pushes into the cupboard, into the wardrobe, and all of a sudden she starts to feel the leaves of a tree. She, she hears the, uh, the snow crunching underneath her feet. She feels the, uh, the coldness of the air. And then all of a sudden there's this great new vista called Narnia that's open in front of her that she didn't even know was there and do you know that faith in Jesus and trusting in him is like that does anyone agree with me have have you noticed that it's like before you do it it's like well all I see is a cupboard you know before Alice fell down the hole all it was was just a hole in the ground and then all of a sudden she fell down all of a sudden Lucy walks through the cupboard all of a sudden you decide to trust in Christ and then all of a sudden there's this amazing vista that's opened up that you knew nothing about there's a portal the portal is the portal of faith and trust in jesus the reason why that's there is as i mentioned earlier is that trust is an inescapable component of personal knowledge listen to these beautiful verses 1 corinthians 8 verse 3 says if anyone loves god he is what known by him so isn't that beautiful i mean you look at that and you might just go yeah he knows everything well you know he, he won't know you unless you love him and you trust in him now you're saying are you saying he won't know no he's going to know about you this is a relational kind of knowing i mean it's going to be a very difficult marriage if all you ever have is theoretical intellectual knowledge about one another what about this one second timothy 2 verse 19 the lord knows those who are his and then this kind of scary verse uh, that Jesus talks about at the end of the day when he comes back to wrap things up, Matthew 7.23, he's going to say to some people, I never knew you. So knowledge of Jesus is dependent upon our trust uh, in him. So I want to ask you this question today. What secrets does God want to tell you? Psalm 25 verse 14 says this, the friendship or an alternative translation or the secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. What does he want to tell you? Now, you get to find out a whole bunch of secrets. Everyone who's ever given their life to Jesus, you just know that there's a whole bunch of secrets. Like All of a sudden you're in and it's just like the world was in black and white. It was in grayscale and all of a sudden it's just multicolored now. And I can see a whole bunch of stuff that's going on. But do you know what? It doesn't end there. See, Jesus is saying, if you trust in me, I'm going to keep revealing secrets to you. So he would say to you this morning, he'd say, Ray, do you want to know a secret? Do you want to know a secret? Come here. And I'll tell you a secret. And you know, he's doing that every week. That's his deal. He's the revealer of secrets. But unless you actually hang out with him, unless you actually trust in him, he's not actually going to tell you too much stuff. But do you know what? If you do hang out with him and you do trust in him, he's just going to tell you some stuff. And why kids get to do show and tell at school? So what we're going to do, just for a couple of minutes here today, we've got enough time. I would love it if we had did a little bit of show and tell. Now, let me set it up for you. This is audience participation time. So let's take a deep breath. Get the hamster off the wheel if you're getting anxious about it. What I'd love to hear, just from maybe a couple of you, two or three or as many as, as want to say something. You know, I'm actually absolutely persuaded that every week as you walk with the Lord, He's going to just tell you some more stuff, you know, and you're just going to go, man, I've never, I've never seen that before. You, know, you just find out something about Him or something about the way that He does stuff, and you just go, that is cool. That is so cool, you know. And maybe it's when you read the Bible, it's maybe when it's you doing life and God just kind of brings stuff to mind. Um, but I'm absolutely persuaded that there's some of you in the last week where, where God's just gone, I gone, hey, do you want to know a secret? And you went, yeah, I do. What, what have you got? <laughs> and then all of a sudden you find something else about God, something out about God that you just never knew before. Is that true? So, I'm going to stop for a minute or two, or however long it takes. Who's found out something about God in the last week that you think 
is really, really special to you. And some of you, I'm just going to help you here, right? Because some of you go, no, I bet you they already know it. No, they don't, right? Because this was a secret that he told you from walking with him. Come on, what, what have you got? Don't, you don't have to give a sermon. That's, I'm being paid to do that today, so. But what have you got? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. You see, that's why you should listen to older people, right? Especially older people who have walked with God for a long time. Because you know, older people, you know what they've done. You know, someone who's walked with God for 40 years, well, you better just spend lots of time listening to them. Because they've had 40 years of walking with God and just God going, do you want to know a a secret? And them going, yes, for like 40 years. And so, now, do they always say everything that's correct and right? No, they don't. All right, my dad got saved when he was, he became a Christian when he was in his early 20s, I think it was. And uh, he's been, he's, I don't know, he's 70-something now. Um, that's probably a sin not to know how old your dad is. But, but you know, it's, it's probably, he's probably, I would, I would think he's got half a century up, you know. And it's like, well, I, I may not agree with everything my dad says, but I better just listen to him, you know, because he's going to have some secrets that God's kind of shared with him over the last 50 years that I haven't got. Um, and it was certainly the case, if you don't mind me saying, when it was certainly the case in the early days of the project that, one of the real fathers of the church is Wynne's husband, uh, Ted, who's since passed away a couple of years ago. Um, amazing man. I mean, you just sit down with him and you know what he did? Well, he's just going to tell you secrets about stuff that God's done for him. That's what he did, didn't he? He's just a storyteller. You know, you see, an hour and a half ago passed and what's he done? Well, it's just like, hey, let me tell you some stuff that God's done. You know, let me tell you some, some stuff that he's let me in on, you know. And it just... It just kind of ballooned out and time would kind of disappear, you know, listen to these stories and they're always massively encouraging. So let me just encourage you, find some people who have walked with Jesus longer than you and hang out with them and, and listen to them and let them tell you a few secrets of things that they've, uh, they've kind of worked out. And you know what? Be someone who's going to have lots of secrets to share, you know? People, what I find about people who have walked with Jesus for a lot longer is you don't have to go and ask them to tell you stuff. You just have to go and hang out with them, you know. I mean, I think you'd do really well to hang out with Wynn, you know. Go and hang out with Wynn and just hang out with her, right? And I bet you she's not probably going to wait for an invitation to talk about the Lord with you, probably. That's not my experience anyway. I hope you don't mind me using you as a servant illustration. <laughs> she, just, she just talks about him and she'll start telling you stuff that she's learned about him. You just go, that's really cool. That's a secret. I think I get that a little bit, but I don't get it as much as Wynn's got it or as much as Ted had it or as much as my dad's got it, but they've got a little bit of it and if I can learn something from the secrets I've learned, let's, let's learn it. I want to move on to uh, point three, discipleship in the kingdom. A mate of mine in Sydney went to uh, Israel, actually, in, uh, when he was about 20 and he took some photos when he was in Israel, and he sent me his photos. Um, just uh, Friday morning it was. Uh, when he was there, he was at the Sea of Galilee, and he thought, I'm going to go around the Sea of Galilee, and I'm going to take four photos of the four different types of soil that Jesus talks about. These are all from next to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was in a boat teaching on the Sea of Galilee. First one was the path. The second one was the, uh, the rocky soil. You can see there on the, uh, toward the centre there. The next one is milk thistles. And, of course, the one on the right there... Is a, uh, is a really lush, life-giving crop. So I want to suggest to you today this, that there's four tests of discipleship. God's word can hit a hard heart, a shallow heart, a divided heart, or a good heart, a hard heart. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Let me give you one example of someone who can have a hard heart, someone who listens intellectually to the truth about God doesn't get down into the heart doesn't change the way that they act they've not actually ever experienced the power of the kingdom in the sense of a personal discovery there wasn't that moment there hasn't ever been that moment where it began to dawn on them like they were waking up from a sleep like this is me and I really need this like the truth actually had them by the throat I remember when I was 16 my uh, my dad was a Presbyterian minister my whole life we did the Westminster Confession of Faith for family devotions 
uh, which is really exciting. And to add on top of that, we did the longer catechism and the shorter catechism for family devotions. Um, I mean, I, I heard stuff lots uh, from my family, but do you know, it wasn't until 16 that I actually actively put my heart's trust in Jesus. I remember going to church, we were going to Cherrybrook Presbyterian Church in Sydney, in northwestern Sydney at the time, and I remember going to church and I went up to my pastor that day and I said, mate, I said, you wouldn't believe what I found out. And uh, he goes, what's that? And I goes, a prodigal son, man, that is incredible. <laughs> and you know what he said? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it is. But do you know what was happening there for that, in that moment? Is all of a sudden... I'd gone through the portal of trusting Jesus and all of a sudden it was open and there was this great vista of this story. How many times had I heard the prodigal son? Maybe 20, 30, maybe 40? And all of a sudden in that moment, it's just all in colour and it makes sense and I'm blown away by it. And it's like at that point in time, there's a secret there that God's sharing with me that I've never got before. And those kind of moments, and I've had lots of those moments through my life because I think that's the way God works with us is he's sharing secrets all the time. When you have those moments, you just, I mean, some of those moments are some of the best evidence I think about the reality and the truthfulness that God actually exists. Because why is that? Why can I read the prodigal son 40 times and not get it? And then all of a sudden, when I put my faith in Christ, I read it and it just blows the hair off the top of my head. You know, and there's a pastor just not trying to work out why this preacher's kid loves the prodigal son all of a, all of a sudden so much. How long has it been for you since a truth about Jesus has kind of had you by the throat? It's really affected you. I hope it was a, a, a day ago. I hope it was this morning. I hope it was last week. Um, you see, another way that you can be hard-hearted is, is coming to church and just saying, tick that off my list. Uh, that's something I've just done. Um, you know, you might, people who come to church, they kind of go, oh, that was a nice sermon. Now, it, seriously, I don't always preach good sermons. Let's just get that on the record. Some of them are pretty crap, I think. And, um, you know, like, honestly, but the biggest insult you could probably give me is that was nice. Like, what's nice? Nice is just nothing. Nice is useless, isn't it? So like, I don't want to be a nice guy. It's like, he's pretty harmless. That's pretty much all that means. He's pretty harmless. And if you say, oh, that was a nice you're really just saying, oh, it was harmless. Didn't offend me, didn't help me. I'm just going, well, that's an absolute train wreck in terms of a, in terms of a sermon. So hard-heartedness is hearing and not responding. Second one's this, a shallow heart. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Do you know what this is? This is an emotional response to the truth about God. It's receiving something with joy. You can see here that this seed is, as Jesus is saying, the seed, man, it's, it's like people, they just, they hear the truth about God, they get, man, this is so good. But you know what actually happens is hard times actually come along. It's like their eyes are open, but hard times come along and they can't handle the heat. They can't handle the troubles. It's like when they lose their important things, their treasures, they turn their back. It's like they never really understood Jesus because Jesus was never, ever coming to fit in with their kingdom. He was coming to get them to fit in with his kingdom. And when these people are like, when Jesus doesn't fit in with my kingdom anymore and he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, I'm going to leave him. They want a blesser, not a saviour. They want a sugar daddy, not a king. They wanted help and relief, not salvation. They saw Jesus as a service provider. And when what they really worshipped was taken away, they were lost in the heat of it all. They thought they were a sufferer in need of a solution, not a sinner in need of a saviour. That's the shallow heart. And the divided heart. Look, the first two, you could probably go, yeah, they're probably not true Christians probably this one gets a little bit more complicated and others are the ones sown among the thorns they are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful and Jesus would say to you today beware of listening with a divided heart this one's hard to tell you see the thorns are actually growing up around the seed and it doesn't look like the thorns are actually killing the seed but the seed's not operating healthily it's not actually going to bear a harvest 
these people are really anxious. My old man used to say that um, there are people who uh, try to love the world and love Jesus and they're miserable in both camps. And that's, that's true. In some ways, you'd be better off just to say, listen, just go all out for one. At least you'll be happier <laughs> that way. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 to 19 is a particularly probing scripture for anyone who lives in the West, I think, because we all classify as rich people. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves and a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Riches are deceptive. And you might be sitting there today, I've got $5,000 in my account, I'm okay. I've got 50000 in my account, I've got three rental houses. Paul is saying in Timothy here that it's not certain. Riches are not certain, but they can deceive you into thinking they are certain. And so what you've got here with uh, the divided heart is you've actually got people who are being tricked by money. They're being tricked by stuff. Now, who's a good person to preach about how you can be deceived by riches? Well, it's not me, and it's probably none of you. I mean, in some sense, we'd be better off to find some third world pastor in the guts of India somewhere there to actually come over to to church here with us and teach us a lesson about materialism. Because I don't know, I've got two cars, I've got a house, you know. Like, how much are you trusting in riches? Well, probably more than what you think. And Paul would say the way to get away from that deception of riches is to give money away and be really generous. This group is uh, a group of people who have a divided heart that Jesus is talking about. Psalm 86 verse 11, the psalmist says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Who knows that you probably never do anything with one single motive? I mean, that, that's kind of part of the curse of being human almost. It's like, what did you do that for? And you're just going, well, are you assuming that I've only got one reason for why I'm doing it? I mean, almost everything you do, you've probably got two or three kind of, at least, motives that are kind of driving you and impacting upon your choices. And the psalmist says, God, help us to be united. Give us a one-hearted, a whole-hearted approach to you and following you and walking in your truth. And the last one, we know this one. A good heart. Those that were sown on the good soil. Do you know what I love about this one? Is just the simplicity of it. Are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. You get that? It's just like, well, it's just not complicated there. It's just like, so you hear it, you trust in it, and you're fruitful. And what I'm absolutely stoked about with the project is we have a lot of this kind of soil in the place. People, guest speakers come in and they say, this, this is a people that really want to learn. This is a people who are really receptive to God. And that's been my heart's cry, in a sense, for the church since the church started, is I just want people in the church to go, really? Is that what God wants us to do it? Maybe they go home and check it out and make sure that I'm not telling some furfies to you, but they go home and they check it out. And they just go, yeah, I think that's what God wants me to do. Almost a bit like what Carly was saying before there about fasting. It's like, oh, I wasn't sure about it. She had to think about it. Okay, all right, if that's what God wants us to do, let's just go and do it. And I'm sure you do. Let's just have more. If God wants you to do something, just, let's just say, okay, that'd be great. Let's do it. It's just, do you see what I'm saying? It's, just, it's really simple. It's really simple up there. And that last bit there, the whole of the Christian life is one of progressive and ongoing response to divine revelation. You know what that is? Come here and I'll tell you a secret. And then you find out the secret and then he goes, hey, I'll tell you another one come here and you go and you walk closely with him and what does he do well he tells you another secret and that's the way it's always meant to work it's like god tells me a secret i respond to it i accept it i live in that and then he tells me another one and then i respond to that i live in that i accept it i bear fruit and then there's another one and it just keeps going until you die that's a good life isn't it that's a good life and i can tell you bearing a harvest a hundredfold is ridiculously large in the context of this, uh, this sower, it's miraculously large. And that's what God wants to do with it. He wants a miraculous harvest out of you. It'd be really effective. All right, I'm going to pray. No, I'm going to say one more thing. 
Look, sometimes you can be unhappy that you're the soil and Jesus is the gardener, right? Well, I'd like to be the... Well, listen, just be happy with the fact you're not the gardener. Just be the soil, okay? And some of you probably right now are just thinking, well, I reckon I've got some rocks in me. And maybe I've got some thorns and thistles in me, growing around me. Now, listen, whose job is it to get rid of the rocks and the thorns and the thistles? It's the gardener's job, right? I mean, that would be really dumb if you walk past a wheat plant and it's popped out of the ground and it's pulling thorns and... Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, it doesn't happen. Like, it's not your job. Your job is to cry out to the gardener and say, listen, I need help. Come and get the thorns and thistles out. Maybe I need to give away $5,000 to do that. I don't know. He might lead you to do that. You just go, okay, you like riches, you depend on them too much, so give 10 grand away. So you give 10 grand away. Like, that's actually possible that God could call on you to do that and you could just go, ah, okay, all right, and then you just do it. You just go, really? 10 yeah, yeah. And then, you know what? You'll bear a harvest, 100-fold. 30, 60, 100-fold. Your job is to receive the seed and to hear the word and to do it, not to pull out all the weeds and the rocks and all that sort of stuff. This parable really is not about the quality of preaching. It's really about the quality of hearing. That's what it's about. 